Hi everyone, welcome back to Chat Shit, Get Fit, Chatting with PTs. This is the series where we chat with health professionals from a wide range of backgrounds about a wide range of topics. This week, we get a nutrition masterclass from Sherry Edwards of Munchies and Macros. And after establishing her top three gym pet peeves, which are naturally nutrition-based, she talks us through her journey from being born in California to being raised in Thailand to then marrying a Welshman and ending up living in Wales. Now, is that a downgrade? I'll let you decide. We then dive into what Munchies and Macros is all about, including a pretty awesome sounding new course, as well as getting Sherry's top nutritional tip. We then finish with some listener submitted questions, which include do superfoods really exist or is it just excellent marketing and how does food affect your mood? Let's get into this week's episode. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, everyone. How are we doing? Very well. Good. I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'd let you know, Tom. Hi, Sherry. Welcome. We are, we're back with another guest. We're back with Chatham with PTs, and we've got Sherry Edwards with us today. Would you like to say hello? Hi, guys. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on your show, guys. Absolute pleasure. We've actually got an expert on this week. That's nice. I know. That makes a change, yeah. <laughs> yeah it does, yeah. <laughs> we've actually got someone that actually knows what they're talking about. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that so soon, anyway. We'll, we'll find out by the end, yeah. Might, might all go horribly wrong and we go, oh God. Again. Absolute maniac. But no, we'll go straight into it, Sherry. So I'm not sure how much exposure you've had to the Chat Shit Get Fit podcast, especially this sub-series in particular, but we like to start these episodes the same way. Um, so it, you know, everyone wants to basically know is what are your top three gym pet peeves? Now, as your you know your expertise is in nutrition, these can be nutrition-based, but me and Tom are going to rank these on you know how good and bad we think these are. Tom, would you like to tell us this week's ranking scale? This week we are going to do the RPS system. So that RPS. is, yeah, that's rate of perceived silliness. So when we're training a oh, uh, Chevy, I don't that's know very if you PG. Use, it is very PG, but do you know what? It, I want it to be family friendly this week. So okay. uh, yeah, I don't want to be uh, putting money in the swear jar. But yeah, so uh, Chevy, I don't know if when you're training, if you use the RPE scale, but basically, you know, on a number on a numbered scale from one to ten, with one being, you know really really well in this case it's like not that bad whereas 10 being that is really really silly we're gonna go with rps so yeah you'll basically tell us some of your pet peeves and me and bill number them on how silly we we think they are i can't take it seriously tom silliness i mean that's the most pg scale we've had since we started this podcast so i can't take it seriously. It, it really says a lot about our attitude when like silly is what sends us over the edge the word silly yeah. we could put yeah. all the curse words out there in the world notice how i said curse words um but, you know, it's, it's silly that sends you over the edge. Silly's too much. Silly is jumping the shark. Welcome to the podcast, Sherry. Very serious, as you can tell. <laughs> okay, so pet peeves, like it, uh, gym pet peeves or like nutrition, you said it could be as well. Like I literally yeah. remember what I said. Okay, so I think my number one pet peeve, and I'm not a gym owner, but like is in like a business gym owner, but we have, you know, we have like a home gym. And my number one pet peeve is when my husband drops the barbell when it's light. My fat really, really just makes me really annoyed because I'm like, if you can pick it up, you can put it down, you know. But so, yeah, I think I think it's sort of like the CrossFit background where like everybody drops the barbell. And like, I think when you're absolutely gassed out makes sense. But if it's light, I like I can't like just it just sounds like you're wrecking the plates. And wrecking the barbells, you know, like anybody dropping um, barbells with fives on them, like really thin fives, 
I'm I'm on board with that. I can get I can get on with that 100. Especially if I mean even worse than empty barbell. I think we actually had someone mention that one before, and um, yeah, that was that was up there on the on the scale an empty barbell because actually damages the barbells. But even with a light one, I get you because the little fives are normally quite thin, aren't they? They're normally quite fragile. Yeah. They just snap over time. Feel for like the gym owners because like the equipment, you know, they get really pricey. So yeah, that's that's uh, those tough. Tom, as somebody who works in the gym, you must be you know. Yeah, that, right now. that, that really it. makes me livid. I mean, the funny thing is, is this isn't the first time someone has specifically said dropping an empty barbell. So it's not just you, Sherry. This is a this this is a, a notorious pet peeve for a lot of people, especially myself. I I manage a commercial gym, and the thing is, we haven't had our five kilo plates for that long. But yeah, we have the five kilo ones when they're really really thin. They're almost like you know biscuits or or cookies. Um, but like uh yeah, that that really peeves me off i don't think people realize how fragile barbells can actually be by themselves when they're empty uh they're actually quite easy to bend and before you know it once again i'm coming from like a commercial gym point of view i've got members like crying to me that oh one of your bars is bent and it's like well yeah you guys keep dropping it and throwing it about you sound surprised almost so for me on the rps scale that is a i mean there there are always worse things out there like murder so i'm gonna i'm gonna say an eight it it's really silly. It upsets me, but you know, there's always worse things out there. <laughs> but no, yeah. that, that is still there. That, that still winds me up. There's the sound as well. Just the sound mm. alone is really poor etiquette. I mean, I think an empty barbell. Nobody, surely, nobody actually drops an empty barbell on purpose, though. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine dropping an empty barbell on purpose. Like, I think accidentally, you know. But that's yeah. I can't. I can't imagine you'd want to do that on purpose. And almost it's, it's like the more lighter the the barbell or the less weight on it, the more annoying it just sounds as well. It's really obnoxious. Like if someone was to if someone was doing like a clean and press, maybe not so much in a commercial gym, but just clean and pressing and dropping like a a, a heavy load doesn't sound as annoying as just like a dropping an empty barbell or a barbell with like fives on it. It's almost like a a crash symbol. That kind of, no- kind of noise, it's really obnoxious and annoying. And it hurt, yeah, so like it hurts your ears. Yeah, it's too crispy. It's too crispy sounding. Tom, when Sherry said um, she's not sure the sort of people who would do that, I was so, I was literally putting money on you saying we live in a society. <laughs> well, we, your... we do live in a society, um, a society of CrossFitters, Bill, you know, uh, <laughs> who, who love to throw equipment around, so. Yeah, no comment. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's not offend all of our members. <laughs> I'll listen to base. Sorry, I'm going to agree with you though, Tom. I'm going to say eight. I think that's. I think that's a good start. Eight's a good strong, a good strong start. I think so. We'll go with that. It's one of those as well. We're just thinking about. I can hear it in my head. If I close my eyes, I can hear an empty barbell drop. In fact, I think that's just a thing. If if somewhere out there is an empty barbell being dropped, and that's a really upsetting thought. <laughs> it's like, what is it? Every every ten seconds, I click with the fingers. This is really got to you, Tom, being isn't it? dropped. You're, you're really going off on one here, aren't you? Yeah, it's going to come back from my shit. Do you know what? <laughs> I didn't want to kind of say it, but I actually told someone off for this last night and they got really arsy with me. So it's still fresh in my head. It's raw, yeah. I can tell the, the It's got the to emotion. the point now where this person's now my shit list and I'm actually constantly, wherever they come to the gym, I'm checking on the CCTV, waiting for a chance to ban them. <laughs> we'll move on to number two, Sherry. Um, ooh, okay. So slightly on the more serious side of things so as a nutrition coach i work with a a lot of people you know with different sort of eating behaviors 
And um, it's trying to move people away from the fear of eating certain foods because they've been told by, say, somebody with a lot of followers um, on social media. So um, I think one of the, the the top pet peeves for me is sort of like the clean eaters or people who encourage certain clean eating just kind of irks me anyway, because there is like these days I'm very careful with when I talk about healthy eating because healthy is very subjective, right? What is healthy to me might not necessarily be healthy to you and vice versa. So when I'm, for example, like on, you know, I don't know if you've seen on my social media platform, I will encourage people to actually eat carbs and to eat a lot of carbs and to actually hmm. eat refined sugar. Now, I'm careful with how I present that information because, you know, I do say it's not necessarily for everybody, but for the people that I work with and I work with athletes. So when you're an athlete or you're a person that is quite athletic and you're training a lot and your glycogen levels are absolutely tanked, you need something like a big bowl of cereal to refuel that glycogen level. So, you know, maybe if maybe if you're, say, a 50-year-old person and you have a 9-to-5 job and you don't do any form of exercise, maybe eating a bowl of cereal before you go to bed is not ideal. So, you know, that's when I say healthy eating is very, very subjective. Um, so I, I don't, yeah, one of my pet peeves is sort of like clean eating. The no sugars and no dairies and no gluten for no clear reason at all. Like that really just kind of, irks me when there's no real research they're just like i don't eat this because it's bad i'm like well why is that bad you know if there's a genuine allergy to it fair enough but most of the time it's just i don't eat it because i heard that so and so i'm all over that one that's a, that's another cracker um i i think if i was to rank it though it wouldn't be as high as the other ones simply because i think it, uh, they come from a good place the people who say these things a lot of the time like the clean eating and the healthy eating i think the they're trying to say something good, but I think just, there's a bit of naivety behind it. They're not really educated enough. They just think it's a safe thing to say, eat clean, because kind of you can't really go wrong with it. But you, and, and as you know, you can go wrong with it in terms of like language and people, people how they perceive that. But yeah, I'd say seven. But it's a very good point, and I think a lot of people need to hear that. I am going to say this is context dependent here. So in regards to the general public talking about clean eating and, and dichotomizing foods into like good and bad, etc. As annoying as it is, they don't know any better. So I'm going to let that slide. However, in the context of in the fitness industry, those that do work with uh, nutrition, etc., that that is straight away is a non-negotiable 10. That, yeah, that is unforgivable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm 100% with you there, Sherry. Um, I mean, imagine like living in 2022 and we still have coaches preaching about clean eating it's just it's almost it's embarrassing it's truly embarrassing i mean uh something you said in particular as well about how like you know if you're dealing with athletes we're actually trying to get them to you know recarb up that's actually something we spoke about recently wasn't it bill mm, we was talking yeah. about i can't remember what we was talking about i think we might have been talking about some kind of like how high level athletes such as crossfitters the ones that are kind of like doing key keto etc it's like if, if they want to do that you know we live in a democracy and a society so you know do whatever you want but it's like surely like you could benefit more by getting some carbohydrates in your diet etc um but yeah i mean with me particularly with like behavior change etc and trying to change people's views on food it's a it's, it's a big deal with me it is a big deal and yeah just to see this whole term of clean eating which is very subjective if i could count highland 10 i'll give it a, a high number 
Does that even exist? I don't know. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I can't count. Sherry, you're really triggering Tom today. He's, he's yeah. absolutely erupted in these. He's loving them. <laughs> you're right, mate. Do you want to take a moment? I mean, I, I guess so. I, I could take that a little bit further and expand, and I guess that would sort of be my like third pet peeve, which is like the black and white way of thinking. And this is so common in everything. It's in politics. It's in diet. It's in... It is in everything. Just because I say one thing does not necessarily mean I am anti the other thing. So just because I say you don't need to restrict your diet and you don't need to religiously count calories does not necessarily mean I am this or that. So people often come onto my page and they're like, oh, she's anti-diet. I'm like, no, I am not anti-diet and I'm neither pro-diet. I am just somewhere in between. And I believe in there being like a nice, healthy medium. So, yeah. you know, it's kind of like I I am very much about body positivity as well. So people are like, oh, so you don't believe in changing your body. And I was like, no, because I believe that you can 100% love your body and also want to improve your body. You know, and I will use that as an example. So last year, I think it was I wrote a blog. I said, look. If you compare it to, say, for example, my garden, this was before we moved house, like we had a very small garden and I loved my garden. I absolutely loved it. But there was nothing wrong with me looking at my garden and saying, you know what? I want to border flowers here. I want to maybe start growing some more trees here so it looks nicer. I want to improve it. And I think it's okay to love something, yet at the same time want to improve it. So I said, okay, well, at what point does that become unhealthy? Well, if I start looking at everybody else's garden in the cul-de-sac that we were living in, and I was like, oh, she's got more beautiful gardens. Her garden's better than mine. Or or her plants are growing faster than mine. She's got a better garden than mine. And then if you start obsessing over how much better everyone else's garden is better than yours, then that's where the problem is. So if you mm-hmm. love the space that you're in, or if you love the body that you're in, but you want to make yourself feel better, you want to make yourself look better, go for it. I totally encourage that. But you'll probably know yourself. If you get to a point where you are unhappy and no matter what weight you are or no matter what body composition you are, you are never happy, that's when you need to scale back. That's all I'll say to that. So I'm not pro-diet. I'm not anti-diet. It's neither really. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be a good balance. No, I absolutely love that. Admittedly, I wasn't expected to go into the whole like pro-diet slash anti-diet argument. So no, I was, yeah, I was loving that. That was really good to hear. That's going on Instagram. I mean, uh, yeah. No, I really, really like that um, because... It, once again, 2022, it seems like uh, nutrition in general is very tribal. And there is the whole like, anti-diet side. And then there's like the pro-diet side. And the thing is like, we haven't got to be on a single team. You know, it could be a sliding scale. It's like, everything depends on context. Everything is subjective. Um, I mean, as you said as well, like uh, you could still kind of look at someone else's garden or look at your own and say, Do you know what, I want to... It's all very well for people to talk about body positivity, but you can't then take away someone's body autonomy away from that. So it's like someone can still be body positive, but say, do you know what? I want to have some body autonomy. I want to do something. That's their choice. You know, and you can't, I don't want to say you can't because clearly people do do it, but ethically, we shouldn't guilt trip someone because they simply want to change their body. You know, you shouldn't feel like you're then part of the problem. You're now part of the body shaming movement because you want to change your body. It's body positivity and body autonomy can coexist, hopefully. We'll see what happens next year. 
I'll tell you what yeah, they were. No, I really like that. Yeah, that was good. Some really punchy, punchy stuff there, Sean. Yeah, I enjoyed that. We'll get we'll get some good snippets out of that, and I'm sure some of the listeners will um, really resonate with some of the stuff you said there. Oh, good. We'll move on to a more serious note. Now I say that every single episode, but yeah. we'll see how it goes. Sometimes it doesn't end that way. We're going to start at the beginning here, Sherry. What we need to establish is, how on earth did you end up in Wales? Because I'll give some context to this question. Where did you think I was based before I answer that? Well, I just thought you were across the pond, Sherry. Because I, I, for some reason, I didn't... On the on the uh, the website where you, you used to sort of connect podcasting guests and podcasters, I, I didn't re- think to read that it says United Kingdom. I just went straight to your Instagram, watched some videos and thought, okay, let's see if this person like, is, is legit. Heard the voice and thought, okay, over the pond. So I'm emailing, emailing Sherry going, yeah, we do it at this time, this day, you know, this is the time zone. Let me know if we need to adjust it because of the time zone. I said about 14 times about time zones. And then eventually I get an email back saying, um, I'm in Wales. And I was like, for fuck's That's sake. That's the most obscure place in the UK. I know. I was of. like, <laughs> how did you end up there? How did, how did we get to Wales? Uh, first of all, I want to say, I like how you worded that. How did you end up there? It's not like, oh, so what made you want to go to Wales? It's like, Sherry, how did you end up there? What what happened? It's <laughs> okay, you can tell us, Sherry. <laughs> I get asked that all the time because I grew up in Thailand, but I was born in California. So people are like, sunny California, sunny Thailand, Wales? Wales. <laughs> well, my husband is Welsh. So we moved back. I say moved back because we met in Thailand. We got married in Thailand. So we moved to the UK when um, 11 years ago. Yeah, so I've been in the UK 11 years ago. So actually, we were in Manchester for a good while and then just kind of scooted up over um, to just across the border, a little bit closer to Chester, but in North Wales, um, in a very small, sleepy town called Pendamundit. And how Welsh do I sound? And then so now... That was good. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're in Brisbane. So, yeah, we're like Ooh. kind of scooching over a little bit further, um, closer to where, where my husband's family is. Oh, nice. Well, that makes sense, then, I suppose, yeah. I, yeah. I was, I was just question. more impressed that you could pronounce that. I'm an Englishman. I cannot pronounce anything Welsh. So, like, I was just, yeah, that's impressive. Hearing that in an American barely, accent You can barely well. pronounce English half the time, Tom. I know. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, um, one thing I've got to ask is, like, I mean, does your does your partner have, like, a, a, a Welsh accent or is it quite he prominent? Doesn't, actually, he actually, strangely enough, my husband sounds like he's from Manchester. I think because he's just traveled a lot since, um, you know, he graduated from from high school, and he's just kind of been all over yeah. the world, really. So he doesn't really have a, he doesn't have a Welsh accent at all. I was going to say, like, uh, I mean, I mean, coming from your background, uh, like how. <laughs> In the UK, we have very prominent regional dialects, whether it be Welsh, whether it be, you know, London, whether it be, you know, Manchester or Mancunian, you know. So like, how how was that? Was that a shock to the system, like coming from, uh, yeah, like California and then like just bosh Manchester accent? Was that difficult? <laughs> it probably took me a good at least 18 months to re- because we were moving around so we moved five times in four years and every time we moved we were in different pockets in different areas and i relearned because i'm like i'm fluent in english but it, the accent was really difficult for me so when i first met my husband and when we every time we were on the, the phone i would have to ask him to repeat himself because i'm used to the american accent my family's like yeah. american Thai, but i couldn't understand his accent so yeah naturally it was really hard when i moved over here because his family's in north wales and i was like 
I felt like I needed subtitles for English. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And funny story, when my parents come, because my parents speak good English, my dad is pretty much fluent in English, but my mother's English is kind of like broken and she will hide behind me. She's like, can you just tell me what that person just said? Like she doesn't understand any of like the Welsh speakers and they're speaking English, you know, because people know they're speaking English. Yeah, (laughs) it is pretty wild. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. Uh, well, at least we've uh, we've cleared up the uh, the Welsh the Welsh debacle, uh, the Welsh we'll, connection, the Welsh connection. We'll move on to more about what you do now, Sherry. So, what I really want to know is, I know obviously you're, you're massive into nutrition now, nutrition coach. Was this always something you sort of started with, or did you go down the conventional personal trainer route to begin with? So how did you fall into this sort of industry? Um. Oh, so okay. So I've definitely never been a personal trainer, but I was a yoga teacher for a good nineteen years. So, like, that's that's a long time, I guess. I I only just recently stopped teaching yoga before I fully went deep into this business. Um. So yeah, I taught yoga for nineteen years. I you know I I have had like, gosh. So in the past, I've done all sorts: rock climbing, martial arts, ice skating, horse riding. So I've I've been into fitness not team sports because i had i've always had terrible hand-eye coordination like i still can't throw and catch but i and and i think in high school because you can't do team sports you're kind of immediately put aside as like one of like the geeky kids that can't do sports so that's kind of always what i thought about myself so i never really looked at myself or thought of myself as athletic until my parents kind of put me aside to do different things so like ice skating um skiing horse riding, like things that you didn't do in school. And then I thought, oh, I'm actually not that bad. So I guess that kind of carried on um, into like university. Then I started doing martial arts and I was pretty good at that. And then um, I guess over the years, I, you know, when I moved over here, as I was teaching yoga, I thought maybe try something new. And as the pandemic hit, like with everybody, you realize you need to kind of shift things and, and take your business online. And that's kind of how this grew really with the nutrition coaching i also noticed online as well that you you seem to be in that would it be fair to say in that crossfit space is that your training modality not so much anymore but yes a lot of my clients happen to be crossfit coaches and that is because that is how my business grew from the beginning because sort of from the pandemic like a lot of my sort of fit friends or fitness friends happen to be crossfit coaches and it just kind of grew from there um, I do coach some, a lot of power lifters, some Olympic lifters, and uh, a few um, endurance athletes, so Ironman and like triathletes and that kind of stuff. But yeah, the majority of them do happen to be CrossFit coaches. You, so you naturally sort of do a little bit. Would you say you still do a little bit now? Now and again, when you do when you do a workout, CrossFit. Yeah, that sort of style. I'm gonna call it high intensity training because I I feel like. <laughs> I feel like CrossFit is like a, I feel like you have to be in a CrossFit box or you have to be doing, I don't know, like, like what exactly is CrossFit? I don't know. Right. Because I'm like, I don't train in a box and I'm not a part of a community anymore. So it just kind of feels like I'm stealing the concept if I say I'm a CrossFitter. So therefore I'm not. But my husband is a street parker and I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with street parking, but basically a husband and wife team, Randa and her husband, they started a company street parking where they were um, games athletes years ago, and they basically took this online. So it's similar to CrossFit, where it's basically hit training, um, but it's it's done online. So that's kind of what he does, and I kind of just pop along with that. But most of the time, I just do my own lifting. No, fair enough. 
I hate having a training partner. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I've only just started training recently after, you know, catching COVID anyway. So, uh, yeah. I like to be alone when I lift. Everyone else is just annoying. <laughs> you, so you like lifting alone? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I used to train with people, but I just found like, because I'm very RPE based, etc. Everything's personalized to me. And it just seems that I I tend to train with people who um, who don't seem to understand that I'm I like my periodization and you know I do like my well this is subjectively hard or easy for me compared to what you might think so and they might be going oh no you had more in the tank there go for more it's like well yeah but that's not the point I, I'm trying to leave some tanks some reps left in reserve here because I'm I'm back in here tomorrow yeah that and I, I'm I'm antisocial yeah I like to have my headphones in heavy metal going Tina Turner as well <laughs> hood up and off I go <laughs> oh I love it. I get bored because because I actually, you know, my husband and I, we train together every day. I mean, he trains almost every day. I don't. I only train. I'm very, very strict with when I train. I train four times a week um, and the sessions can be long, but I only train four times a week. I make sure that I rest for the rest of the week. Um, and I yeah. don't sometimes if he's on like a meeting call, I get bored on my own. because I've got no one to talk yeah. to. So I, I actually <laughs> am the opposite. I like to train with someone. Do you know what I was saying that like I'm I'm quite standard with the way I train. I'm an, I'm an SBD man, so I just squat, bench, deadlift, and then uh, tell people, yeah, like, I, I I train. <laughs> but I mean, the past the thing is, like, I've never I've never done proper CrossFit. But due to people like Bill, etc., it's one of those things where I do like the team spirit of it, the camaraderie, the partner workout. So I have done like a little been with bill before on the ski erg and you know it's slightly grown on me it's just allowed to require me to go and make friends so uh, i can't see it actually happening <laughs> it's a completely different ball game yeah. like so for me to go from i i so like you tom i i periodize my my training i'm very very strict mm. with when you know i deload and when i've got heavy blocks so I, I plan it well. So if I know I'm going mm. light and I'm okay, I'll say to my husband, okay, I'm going to jump in on yours. And when mm. I first went from just CrossFit, like I was just CrossFit for like a while. And then I stopped doing that. And I just 100% stopped training CrossFit, stopped hit, stopped cardio, even just lift heavy. So I started doing bodybuilding for a few months just to build um, sides and strength. And I could not believe how tired it was. Like I literally, like I wasn't even lifting heavy, but it was like the volume of the amount of lifting that I was doing, I would literally fall asleep at about six o'clock. And so I, I would mm. have to, it was, it took me a while to get my head around that because obviously my body wasn't prepared for it. So I, I spent six months lifting really heavy and then I shifted back into HIIT training and then that gassed me as well. So like what I've learned in my mature years is that your body clearly just gets used to one type of training. So now I just make mm. sure that I do a little bit of everything when the time is right that works in with the periodized um, blocks that I'm doing just so that I don't forget one type of training. Because if I stop lifting heavy, I stop building the strength. And if I stop doing the HIIT training, my lung capacity is just gone. So I have to do mm. kind of a mixture of everything to make sure that it's, you know, there. I found that when I stopped running. Yeah. But it, the thing is, it's, it's awesome how adaptable we are. But only to the extent that we actually adapt to the things we're, you know, actually consistently doing on a daily basis. <laughs> so, Sherry, let's talk about munchies and macros. Is that right? Is that the name? name. So, <laughs> what, it's a great name, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I want to know, how was that born? Um, good question. So what I didn't tell you guys was right before 
um, right before COVID hit, I had just started a food business that was nine months old and I was selling bao buns and I'm proud to say I was oh, like wow. the first one in North Wales to sell bao buns and it was like trying to explain to people what bao buns were. So, because that's kind of what we have back home. They're so nice. They're I'm good. googling right now, but I have a feeling I know what they are. Yeah, you must know what they are, Tom. They're really nice. They're... They are really nice. So they're like, oh yes, yes, Asian steam buns. They're really, really soft. So like super soft bread, but like kind of like cloud based. Yeah. So like. It looks so fluffy. <laughs> super fluffy with like different fillings. So then I would just kind of go to different, um, I'd go to different food events and sometimes different, uh, different pubs and just kind of, you know, do like a, like a little event there. And mm. we literally had our last huge event the week, the Friday before lockdown. And as soon as we went into lockdown, all of my friends that were running food businesses took their businesses to the sort of um, delivery space. And it it didn't make sense to me because my business was not as well established. So for me, it was like I was just used to going to different, you know, people's places and, and selling from there. And with the homeschooling, we've got two children. I wanted to focus on the kids and not like struggle to make the food and deliver the food and lead my husband with the kids to homeschool. Yeah. It just didn't seem fair. So I closed it down. And, um, you know, I, I, I come from Thailand, Bangkok, where it's like food capital of the world. So we grew up around food. Food has always been a huge passion of mine. And so is fitness. And it just made sense to put the two things together. Like I have always loved food and I've always loved fitness. And I, I think I just in my mind, I thought, well, well, what can I do where I can help people where they can eat really tasty food, not have to feel as if they have to restrict their food choices and still remain healthy and it just kind of made sense to just do a nutrition coaching um mm. business with a great name yeah it is like a really it. catchy name yeah very it catchy. is a really catchy name i like that and also technically it's where well, m&m isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah really catchy are you saying like i'm like the rapper or like the chocolate which one both both it could be both <laughs> uh I'm more leaned towards the chocolate side, you know. Bill being edgy would probably lean more the rap side. But so, yeah, side, yeah, yeah, I can be gangster, I guess. The gangster chocolate. <laughs> Sounds like a TikTok in the making. We've got munch bunches of macros. Is it fair to say that you specialise in masters athletes? From what I've seen online, it seems, it seems like, is that right? But what kind of led you to that decision? Why, why did you go down that road? Is it just you wanted to specialise or? So, because um, my husband and I, because we're, you know, I'm, we're not, athletes but but i i do kind of consider us athletes i mean we are we, we take our training seriously and we are both in our 40s and i realized before i truly understood before i got myself certified i realized like everybody else i was hopping from diet to diet trying to find the perfect diet for me that made sense you know you've got the paleolithic diet you've got the gluten-free the dairy-free the million other things and this is why i'm so passionate about what i do because there is a lot of information out there and a lot of it is correct, but knowing which correct information is correct for you and knowing which one to follow, being able to cut through the noise, that was what I wanted to help people do. And I think when you get to a specific age, you know, like people say, as soon as you hit 40, oh, my metabolism just falls apart. And that's what people don't quite understand. The science isn't quite your metabolism slows down when you turn 40. 
that is a mm. part of the puzzle, but it's a very small piece of the puzzle. It's that there's so much happening around us when you turn a specific age. You know, if you're in your 20s and you're still living with your parents and your parents are paying the rent and there's no stress, you don't have kids, life is a little bit different. So I found that as master's athletes, it's like people needed more support and they didn't, they've got more responsibilities. So they don't necessarily have time to put in the research. So it's like, okay, well, let me help you. So that's kind of how this niche developed, you know, because we're this age as well. And we know a lot of people in our 40s and, and 50s where they, they do need that extra support because people want, people want to continue to do sports as they grow. And the most exciting thing is that um, the the master's age category in the last few years has completely just blown up. I mean, you've got it in the CrossFit Games, you've got it in all sorts of different um, different sports, and it's so incredible to see that happening. Like years ago, you wouldn't think that people would still be deadlifting when they're in their sixties, and people are. You know, there's this mm. group of of um, older, mature athletes, masters athletes that are growing in in every sport, and it's just really nice to see that. Nice. I mean, it's. I feel like we kind of said there about like obviously with like um, age and like metabolism slowing down because it's something we've kind of spoken about before as well. Uh, particularly now that I I I basically manage other personal trainers at a gym as well, and I have noticed like uh, so currently where I work, a lot of the staff are relatively new to the industry and they're also relatively young. So when I say young, I think like early twenties, etc. And I, I think some of them do still have that whole, like, you've got to rise and grind. Like, anyone can do it. you just got to put in the work attitude. It's like, at that age, it's, I don't want to say it's easy at that age, but for a lot of them, it's easy. I mean, obviously, everyone has, like, different circumstances and different socioeconomic backgrounds, etc. no matter what age they are. However, like, when your only responsibility is waking up, maybe going to college, and then going to the gym, maybe you have a girlfriend, I don't know. It's a lot easier than when, like, as we get older, we tend to have children. We get expanded job roles. We get expanded responsibilities. You know, suddenly we're having to, we have slightly more stress on our shoulders as well. Now we're, you know, we have to pay mortgages. We're paying this, we're paying that, etc. We're looking out after elderly relatives. It's not so much that metabolism just suddenly stops at a certain age, but certain things do start affecting us as we get older, you know, more responsibilities, et cetera. So yeah, like hundred percent appreciate what you just said there. I hit the nail on the head there as well, because that's what people don't understand. Like, I think when you sit down and talk about it, people go, oh yeah, that makes sense. But then they don't quite put it together with the nutrition. So they'll be like, mm. yes, I have a million things going on in my life. So what can I do to lose weight fast? You know, and I'm just like, okay, yeah. just wait. You literally just told me you've got this to do, you've got that to do, you've got this to do, you're not sleeping, and I did you're stressed. Let's deal with the stress first. Yeah. People want me to be like, okay, so how many macros of protein should I eat? I'm like, okay, stop, right? Because there's no point in me saying, here's your template, follow 30 grams of protein, everything. It doesn't work like that. It can maybe, as we've just said, for a 20 year old who doesn't have all of the same stresses that we. So if you aren't sleeping, and if you're literally falling asleep in the middle of the day, but you're not sleeping at night, well, let's have a look at what's happening in your hormones. Let's have a look at what kind of stress you're dealing with. And let's have a look at how we can balance that out. And maybe you can get a little bit more rest here and, and try to sleep a little bit more here. And because what we do know is that stress and hormones and waking and all of that, they're very, very deeply 
intertwined with each other. So you mm. can't just suddenly fix your diet and, and just hope for the best. You've got to look at the little pockets of what's going on in your life as well and unpack mm. all of that before we even talk about the diet, basically. I think what you've just done there, Sherry, is like, if we're going back to that whole black and white thinking of people expect the answer to be black and white. But as, yeah. you just, as you just sort of elaborated on, there is so many different factors. So that's what makes it very interesting. I mean, this is where a lot of uh, coaches kind of go wrong, is they expect that all they have to do is just... Uh, give a, a a number or recommendation of how much protein to have on a daily basis just give that to the person and that's it it's magically solved and it's not a lot of it is behavior change as you said there's no there's, there's no point like giving someone a number saying this is how much protein you need this is your macros for the day for you know the day or the week or you know how much you want to be having on average etc if like you know they're not gonna be able to do that consistently anyway you know I mean, I I have like ironically been making jokes about this where I've been saying to people, if you want to solve all your problems, just buy an air fryer. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I've been, I was saying like, oh, Joe, you know Joe, where I really struggled, I have two kids, I have two young children that run around the house, so for me, it's a struggle to be cooking whilst watching the kids. But now I'm like, no, I've got the air fryer now. Social economics be gone. You know, <laughs> everything's sorted. <laughs> that is annoyingly a very good tip, and I like that. I might borrow that. Yeah. I like that. Our air fryer <laughs> broke years ago, and we haven't we haven't uh, used one in years. But they are so good, aren't they? Oh no, they're, they're awesome. I mean, like uh, everyone's talking about how like we should be giving you know, government grants to people that aren't as wealthy to help feel, feed poorer families, etc. I think they're going about it wrong. I think we need state mandated air fryers. <laughs> state mandated. This is how we solve uh, obesity. This is how we solve like uh, just yeah everything. It's all down to just government mandated air fryers. Fryer. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it here first. Folks. That's simple, easy peasy. <laughs> yeah, very love that. Move simple, less, like. eat more, f- air fry. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God. I said that backwards. I said move less, eat more, didn't I? Wow, that is the that's the complete opposite advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, nightmare. Cheryl, I just want to quickly re- rewind for a second about you specialising in masters because we've had a bit of an issue on the podcast sort of the last couple of months or so, and that is that uh, Tom here, who we probably class him as a masters athlete, as he's been stuck on a sixty kilos deadlift for for ages now. We cannot get him to sixty two and a half kilos. I've asked all our previous guests if they can help him out. We're still failing. So I want to know: is it with a nutritional protocol from yourself, could we potentially get two and a half kilos onto Tom's deadlift? Yeah. For sure. Absolutely brilliant. I like it. Just give me a protein recommendation and the air fryer <laughs> will take care of the rest. <laughs> Do you know what, Bill? I don't even know where this joke started about me only being able to what, deadlift 60 joke? kilos. Well, but no I've now I've now got clients that listen to this actually giving <laughs> me for it as well. Going way too far. <laughs> oh, I'm surprised there's still clients of yours, mate, think when you, they know you're that. You're not capable. But... Jo- joking aside, forget the actual one where max that you can do, but you can 100%. So the, what I do for a living is basically, yes, I do the behavior coaching, this and that as well. And I help them improve relationship with food. But one thing that I 100% help them with is an improvement in their performance. So it's mm. for, how I do it is specifically nutrient timing. So we talk about nutrient timing and diet periodization. And for the the most part, like let's just say for the lay person who just exercises, right? And they're just like, well, I just exercise for 
for my well-being perfectly. You know, that's absolutely fine. You probably don't need to think about nutrient timing. But for people mm. who do take their training seriously and want to recover better and want to increase those PBs or PRs, depending on where you're listening to this, um, nutrient timing does make a huge difference. And and actually, you know, targeting your macronutrient, your macro split at a specific time will actually make a huge difference. So it's just honing in on those numbers, like knowing when to eat your carbs, knowing how much to hit your carbs and your protein um, in the sort of like pre-training, the intra and the post, that will definitely make a huge, huge um, difference. You know, in, in the people that I have coached, you know, they're like, yeah, we've been stuck here forever. Um, I feel like my body fat isn't moving. And then when I go on to um, when I go on to a deficit diet, it's like they lose the weight, but the training just kind of like plummets with them. No, that's not what we want to do. We want to keep the training the same or even improve and drop the body fat. And for the most part, we're able to achieve that through good, good nutrition targeting. Awesome. So there you go, Tom. Problem solved. That sounds like you are going to be smashing PBs. We'll check back in a couple of months. I mean, we'll see I mean luckily, I can specifically set my air fryer to, and this is a low-key flex, but I <laughs> can specifically set the timer on my air fryer. So, uh, yeah, I'll make sure my nutrient timing is ban on. It'll <laughs> probably go up at 3 a.m. in the morning, but, you know, <laughs> oh, timing God. is timing. <laughs> well, right. Anyway, moving on. What would you say, you know, if you were to summarize maybe in a paragraph, what would you say your approach to nutrition coaching is that makes you sort of different to perhaps other nutrition coaches out there? Ooh, good question. Um, I think, or at least I like to think that as a nutrition coach, I don't just coach from the nutrition side. So I coach from an overall well-being um approach so i look at the different elements to a person's life so as i said hmm. you know you've got stress um relationship your environment your sleep your training and then we look at the allostatic load of an individual so how much stress are you going through and when i talk about stress it's everything stress can be the 10 minute workout you just did then that is blast of stress stress can be the fact that you're not sleeping stress can be the fact that your children are ill or you know your parents are, are not feeling well and you're having to take care of something so we look at the allostatic stress of a person and then um gauge from there to see okay where are the gaps where's where's sort of like the lowest hanging fruit where can we take something that we can make that an actionable step so that they can move closer to their goals without jeopardizing their mental health. So when somebody comes to me and says, look, I want to drop body fat and I also want to increase performance. Okay, well, what's going on in your life? And let's just unpack all of that. What do you consider? Um, this is non-negotiable, right? So for example, I definitely need my eight hours of sleep. Okay, well, you should get your eight hours of sleep so outside of the sleep what can we do so when you first wake up in the morning when you're when your coffee is brewing are you able to chop up some vegetables and then put it in the freezer right so we look at the different elements in their lives and i like to think that if i'm answering your question at all i'd like to think that as a coach my approach is different because i don't just use nutrition science i use the nutrition science along with the behavior coaching because i personally don't believe that one can exist without the other. You can have 
you know, you can know all of the knowledge. You can read all of the books on nutrition science and you can know everything. But unless you know how to apply that knowledge, it's just knowledge in a book. So you need to put the two things together. And you also need a lot of self-compassion. And what I have found is that most of us are not that compassionate towards yourself. So it's just kind of reminding um, the person, like, look, you're probably going through a lot. Um, and and also being being the the person that goes, okay, you've had your rest now. Now it's time to, to, to step it up, knowing when is the right time to push and when to kind of drop back. Yeah, mm. sounds good. I mean, I'm going to sign up in a minute, Sherry. You, you bloody hell. So, sounds incredible. Oh, no, bloody hell. Yeah, very, no, very that good. was good. Uh, allostatic yeah. load. Yeah, love that. In fact, I think you're the first person to actually use that term on the podcast. But yeah, totally. I mean, in regards to nutrition as well, I think there are a lot of people who just see it as a numbers game or it's all very well like uh, look at the actual science of nutrition as well. But the massive part of the jigsaw piece that is missing of the jigsaw puzzle, sorry, is, yeah, behavior change. Yes, as you said, at a static load, stress, etc. Kind of like what I was saying earlier on, you know, as we get older, stress seems to increase, etc. And uh, when we're stressed in general, we tend to want to overeat, you know, anyway. But also there's other things like, you know, not having, there's all these socioeconomic uh, factors that account into not having time to prepare food or maybe not having access to certain foods or I've I've lived in a place where we've had no access to a freezer, you know. So it's all very well knowing how many grams of protein you should have. Or I mean, everyone. Well, I want to say everyone knows that fruit and vegetables are good for them. But to be honest with you, it is twenty twenty two. There are anti fruit and anti veggie people out there. As I'm, I hope you haven't encountered those people yet, because they will drive you crazy. It's not just a numbers game in regards to nutrition. It is pretty much as you've pointed out there. It's it's a behaviour change thing as well, and that it needs to they need to both come together you know most people know most people have an idea of what eating well means right just kind of being able to consistently do it and that's that's where it gets really hard as you said sherry it's about, it's about being able to apply what you know it's, it's all it's all good about knowing anything people, people can know the world as you said but if you don't know how to apply it it's pretty much use, uh, useless isn't it you know different environments and no, not everyone has the same 24 hours in a day either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would chest that, yeah. Uh, so, Sherry, what would you say the future holds for Munchies and Macros? Oh, good question. Um, I am right now really focused on sort of scaling up my business. So um, I don't know. I guess we shall see. I've got a new program that I just launched, and I'm two weeks into it, which is kind of like a group coaching. Um, so... I think I'm just going to start focusing on the group coaching so that I can eventually have some sort of digital course um, where I can I can educate people on performance nutrition. And um, yeah, I, I want to be able to give people this information that I have and I want to be able to give as many people as possible this information so that, you know, we don't have somebody that's training for a, a triathlon that's on a keto diet where they're just be not getting the right fuel for their body um you know I, I want people to perform their best to feel their best and that that's kind of where i see my business hopefully. but bit off a topic here sherry speaking of uh, keto what are your thoughts on the on crossfit's obsession with keto <laughs> i'm unsure where this started from i think i that's sort of my background as well not necessarily the keto diet but so i was um 
I was a, a paleo dieter for five years, for like a good five years. And I can't tell you like how unfit I felt in the five years. In the beginning, it felt good because that was when I had just had a baby. So I suddenly went onto this paleo diet thinking that it was going to fix all my problems. And obviously, when you start dropping carbs, your weight is going to stop dropping off as well. So when you get that initial, wow, my weight is falling off, you guard that knowledge like it's everything is like a holy grail. You're like, everything else is wrong. The paleo diet is right. Like that is literally yeah. how I thought. And so I spent five years not eating grains, not eating dairy, not eating, restricting so many things for my diet. And I think that at one point, the paleo diet was really big in CrossFit. And I think to take that even deeper, it became sort of like the whole 30. And then if you want to take that even deeper, there's the keto diet. So I, I can only guess that that's kind of where it's come from. But what we do know, you know, and in and, and peer-reviewed research paper is that athletes need carbohydrates. And it's very, very difficult to um, move someone away from from a, a belief that they already have because ultimately people know their bodies more than than anything else, right? And at the hmm. time I thought that that's what was good for me until obviously I, I got I got certified, but it's just kind of, I guess I would say, try try it. My, my question is, if you're on whatever diet it is that you are on now, is it working for you? Are you getting the results that you want? And, and, you know, how do you measure success? That is such an important question, right? Because some people are like, oh yeah, I, I see, I see great results. Well, what results are you seeing if you're kind of asking the question, why am I not losing fat, but I'm on this diet? So it's, you know, what, where do you measure your result, your body composition, your performance, your sleep, your energy, all of that moving in the right direction, I guess. We're going to come up to some uh, pretty punchy questions now, Sherry. So see how, see how we get on. This is this is where people are going to get excited. This is the stuff that people hopefully can take away. Well, not necessarily they haven't taken away anything so far, but this is you know we're going to get we're going to get down and dirty now. So nutritionally, what is the biggest mistake you see people make, and how would you solve it? I think we just touched on it just briefly. The biggest mistake I see people make is avoiding refined sugar. That has got to be the number one mistake I see people make. And CrossFit tells people too, don't they? Yeah. And I get it all the time on my my um my social media platform because I talk a lot about a high carb diet and people going, ew, you know, you're a nutrition coach. How irresponsible is that for you to tell people to eat lucky charms? I'm like, because they do. How much is big sugar paying you? Like, yeah. <laughs> exactly. People are like, why are you, you know, like sugar, doesn't sugar cause cancer? So, so that's kind of, there's a lot of misconception out there. So I think the biggest mistake is not eating enough carbs mm. um, and having a high fat diet as well. And then blaming the carbs for the weight gain that is actually coming from the surplus that you are accidentally in from your keto diet or from a high fat diet, Right. Hmm. It, in fact, it doesn't actually matter what you eat at all. It, let's just not talk about body composition or performance or the important athletic stuff. Let's just talk about pure weight gain and weight loss. If we're 100% just talking about body mass loss and body mass gain, the thing that matters is whether you're in a maintenance or isocalorie or you're in a surplus or you're in a deficit, right? You can eat whatever you want. But if you're kind of eating in the same balance as 
what your energy is expending, then you're going to keep the same, you're going to maintain the weight. So if you're training hard and you come back from a long run and you're starving and you don't have a high carb diet and you eat loads of fats and you're really hungry, so you're having to eat even more fats because a handful of nuts is not going to keep you full. So you're going to eat half a tub of peanut butter and then move on to, you know, say half the avocado. So those calories do tend to add up. Now, I don't like to talk about calories in, in the work that I do because I don't want people obsessing over calories. But ultimately, it does matter when you're continuously choosing energy-dense food to fuel your body. So I would say as an athlete, you definitely, definitely need a lot of carbs. So maybe try it, scale back, drop the fats a little bit and increase your carbs because what we do know is that carbs is going to help you feel better and fuel better in your performance. I love that. I try to ask that to people all the time about the carbs thing. Yeah. It's still, you think by now we'd stop stigmatizing carbs, but you know. No, not when we've got the likes of Liverkin out there and you know, oh, God. the rest of them. No. Have you seen Liverkin, Sherry? No. What is it? Oh, uh, look on Instagram. The less, actually, the actually, less actually, you know, the better, you this. Sherry. Yeah, the less you know, the better. It's uh, <laughs> honestly, it's. Yeah, this is the, yeah, the paleo diet on well literally on steroids <laughs> yeah literally yeah it's yeah. terrible honestly it's pretty yeah it's, i can't help but watch it though it's one of those things where it's like I, I sit there and i go through his his feeds and his stories i'm just like why am i watching this it's all nonsense but yeah. i just can't help but i can't help but keep watching this guy it's like know, watching a car crash doing. that is horrific but you just can't help but keep watching mm. oh no okay yeah. i'll have to i'll have to check that out yeah. i'll send you a link sherry i'll send you a link Next one then. So this is kind of a similar question, but it's a little bit different. I want you to think as far field as possible. Something that never, no one's ever, ever thought of. And that is for our, you know, loyal podcast listeners. What would be Sherry's top nutritional tip? Okay, it's gonna be. Can I do two? One is gonna be science, and yeah. one is gonna be oh. habit. So, the habit one. I'm gonna start with the habit one first because that's even more important. Think about one habit that you want to. Um, you want to start or you want to create, right? Whatever that habit is that you're like, man, every time I think about this habit, I am never able to do it. So let's just say, um, I don't know, give me a habit. Drink more water, for example. If you associate your drinking water with an activity that you do every single day and you piggyback that new habit onto an old habit, it makes the new habit a little more easier to continue to do because it's like you've created a trigger. So in when I coach people in sort of behavior, whether it's like recognizing the behaviors that they don't like or trying to create better behaviors, we create we, we talk about triggers. So it's like when you wake up in the morning, I put my contacts in and then I brush my teeth. That's kind of like a series of automations that I do. I put my contacts in and I brush my teeth. It has to happen in the same order. It's just the habitual thing that I do. Or I go, I go downstairs, I make a cup of coffee. It's one of those things I do. And then I turn on my computer. Everything works that way. So if you know that you do something and you have that trigger button and you want to create another habit, so pick that habit up and then piggyback it onto another habit that you've already created. It makes it easier for it to stick. So that's one tip. The other one is, and this one I can say has been a game changer for every single athlete that I've worked with, is to consider taking some sort of intra carbs when you're training. So um, focusing on your intra 
uh, nutrition, meaning your protein and your carbohydrates when you are actually training. So you want this to be in liquid form, obviously, because it gets digested quickly. So we're talking about any kind of fruit juices. You can do electrolytes. If you're in the States, Kool-Aid um, over here, just any kind of electrolyte or I recommend dextrose. Um, so dextrose powder in water and then like a light shake, protein shake in water. So you don't actually want it to feel like a meal at all. You're just kind of replacing your water with a protein shake. So make it nice and watery. It should just be like flavored water. And then you've got your protein mm. going through your body as you're training. And then you've got your carbs going through. And that has been an absolute game changer because it means that you can push harder when you're training and you can recover better so that you feel better the next day. I mean, funny enough, we've actually done a whole episode on a cyclic dextrin, wasn't it, Bill? Yeah. I didn't mean to try it. It's just uh, I keep forgetting to order it. <laughs> yeah, we spoke about all different carb supplements, didn't we? I think that's a really good point you made there. And it's something I should probably think about more is because I find some people, they'll do like a part A, part B session. I can imagine just from hearing that after you've done your part A, taking on some of those fluids you mentioned and then being able to perform part B. Because after part A, I've done some workouts where I've done a, a bit of strength, I've done some Olympic lifting. I finish that. I don't eat or drink anything after, and then I go straight into a, a, a wad, which would be obviously very taxing on you know the glycosic energy system. And then I'll be, I'm, I mean, I'm I'm flagging by the end of it. Whereas if I do what you're saying, it could be a, as you said, a game changer, as you put it. I mean, is this kind of like CrossFit training that you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with CrossFit training as well. CrossFit doesn't necessarily shift energy as much as say like endurance training, where you're like consistently moving for like two hours, right? CrossFit is like fast hitting. But what CrossFit does do, or high-intensity training, is that it depletes your glycogen tank so quickly, so quickly. So you absolutely need to keep your carbohydrates up because it just goes in and out really quickly. And if you don't have anything, your body will always default to finding a way to, to create glucose. This is like, you know, your body going to ketosis if you're not getting the carbs in. And it works because our bodies are, are smart and it's going to work. But the energy is not efficient. So it's going to give you the energy to just kind of like feel like it's a slog. I'm moving through. But you're not going to be able to hit it with power and speed like you would be able to if you stayed on top of your glycogen levels. Tom, what was that protein shake you have? The one that's like juice? Because that would be a good recommendation for... Oh, uh, uh, oh, bollocks. Clear, clear way. Clear way, that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it, it, yeah. Clear way. It's like, have you ever that, Sherry? It's, like a, it's basically a protein juice. Yeah, I've heard of that, but I haven't. I've, I've never taken it. Yeah. I've heard yeah. really good things about it. That'd be, that'd be ideal for what you said there. Nice, juicy protein shake. Sherry, we're going to move on to the final part of the show, which is our secret questions. Now, yesterday, I basically posed a question. Oh, I'll tell you exactly what I said, actually. Just to... I asked our listener, Sherry, what is your biggest question regarding nutrition? And I basically said, tomorrow's guest is shit hot, so we'll ask her instead and you'll find out on Monday. So I'm now going to pose the questions to you instead of answering myself, and we'll start with the first one. So this one's from Ashley, so thank you for sending this one in. This is actually a really good question. I like this one. Do superfoods really exist, or is it just a marketing term? Great question. That is an excellent question, and a very annoying answer coming at you, yes and <laughs> no. Know. So superfoods like chia seeds or beet juice, that kind of stuff, they are very, very good for you. Um, are they better than other foods? It's, it's kind of like, do they have superpowers other over other food? Not necessarily. Mm. It just means that if you have a varied diet, 
and you eat lots of different things, it means you're going to get the nutrients in your body. So I'm not sure I'm answering you. So it's kind of like what people say, are there superfoods that help you to lose weight? No. If that's the question, absolutely not. There aren't any specific foods that will help you to lose weight or to burn fat, but there are foods that do contain lots of nutrients. I think that that kind of makes sense. Would you say it's a, an overused term, as like uh, Ashley was saying about it being like a marketing thing? Would you would you agree that it's, it's overused to the point where it is literally it does essentially become more of a marketing thing by companies? Totally, yeah. It's kind of like the the other way from like the clean eating. There's like a superfood, yeah. But you you can definitely you know if you want to make things fun with with the kids like we do that like let's make a superfood shake or something. And I think mm. I think the term yeah. can be fun because it does kind of feel like oh if I eat this will I you know have strong muscles and be a little bit like a superhero so i think i think it's it's at least to me it seems like quite a, a positive term anyway it's not like clean eating yeah. you know, like if you don't eat clean you're dirty do you know what i mean so at least it's like a positive feel to it but in terms of whether they they are um foods that do make you uh lose weight not necessarily but are they foods that carry a lot of nutrients yeah absolutely they do so as with everything, Sherry, it depends. That's basically what we're saying. <laughs> that old chestnut. That's the right, right answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Move on to the next one. So this next one's from Dale. Now I'm gonna pop it in there for this because he asked a question, and we basically did a whole series on this topic, Sherry. And he did. He did message me saying he hasn't listened to the whole thing yet. That's why he asked this question. But he's asked, "What vitamins and supplements to take?" Oh, okay. That's a really good question. That's not really my specialty, so I, I, I'm not really sure I'm going to be able to answer this one. But um, it depends. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it there. Move on. Yeah, it depends. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna move away from the it depends, but it really is kind of like an umbrella from underneath the it depends. As long as this is such is this is like a cop out, right? Because I don't know how to answer this. As long as you eat a varied diet, meaning you eat your vegetables and you go for all of the colors in the rainbow, like as much as like people make fun of like rainbow foods, it really does matter. Yeah. Because your nutrients and your vitamins and your minerals are found in different colors of food. So if mm. you do tomatoes and you do red peppers and you go to red, orange, yellow, green, I don't think you have any blue vegetables, but purple you do. So go through all of the colors, then you're probably going to have all the vitamins and the minerals in your body anyway. In terms of which ones are better, it depends, I guess. I think it depends <laughs> on what your current diet is and it depends on what your current needs are. But yeah, eat eat all the colorful foods because that's where the, the nutrients are going to be. All I say, Dale, was... Uh... Screwed it up, mate. Get back and listen to the supplement series. You've got hours of content there where we will we will answer oh. all your questions. What's your issue, Dale? What's going on? Yeah, no, you're slacking, mate. You're slacking. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. This one's from Johnny. So, okay, this is this is going to be a very simple answer. You don't have to take this one too seriously. So, if I weigh 99 kilos and eat one kilo of peanut butter, does that mean I'm 1% peanut butter? Is that a single question? I'm, I'm trying to argue serious. against the logic, but I can't. If I weigh 99 kilos and I eat one kilo of peanut butter, does that mean I'm 1% peanut butter? Johnny, this is when science has gone too far. <laughs> I can't. If yes, I'm going to say yes. Is that even yeah. the right answer? That must be yes. Johnny, you need, as long, you need to get help, mate. As long as it's like internally inside you, yeah. I mean, like if you just like smeared peanut butter on your head, then technically yeah. you're not 1% peanut butter. Uh, you know, we have to think about this logically here. It has to be internally within you. That's 
Um, I was going to say a trick question because how long after weighing yourself, after eating the peanut butter, are you that 100 kilos, right? Because if you're essentially using some of the energy from the peanut butter, then maybe you weigh less than 100, right? We're going to need some peer review journals on this. We'd, we'd have um, a look at the method- <laughs> method- methodology of this study. Like, uh, I'm assuming that'd be rapid. It would have to yeah. be rapid. It would have to be rapid, yeah, I'm not uh, too this, sure. This uh, is a quick run to the scales afterwards. We'll bring this back to uh, a bit more serious now, uh, Sherry. So this one's from uh, Jess, and she has sent in, is intermittent fasting sustainable and or healthy? Um, is it sustainable? No. Is it healthy? It can be. It can be. Uh, it depends. Gosh. Uh, it, so it depends <laughs> yeah. It depends on, on your needs. Um, it depends on what your goals are. It depends on you as, as um, an individual. So... As a sports performance nutrition coach, I always say no, but but that's because the people that I work with want to improve in performance. And clearly, when you want to increase performance, you need fuel. But but intermittent fasting can be effective, and it actually can be uh, quite helpful to some people. And I think the research, I mean, I, I'm not very familiar with the research, but I, as far as I'm aware, I think that the research has been quite positive for people that are obese, as far as I'm aware. And I think a lot of what is um, kind of around the, the research is that, say, you're, you, people tend to train or exercise um, at a fasted state first thing in the morning because they spent the entire night fasting, so there's no food. And then you fast again from when you wake up, so you don't have to experience the hunger too much, and then you exercise. So essentially, what happens is that that shortens the gap of when you can eat your food. So that is going to likely uh, lower your overall caloric intake throughout the day so that kind of means that you're eating less food throughout the day so that's been helpful in controlling people's um energy intake and their uh appetite but in terms of the the theory behind intermittent fasting or fasted cardio helping you burn fat more currently as far as i'm aware there is not enough evidence that suggests that it does help your body to burn more fat I think I think anything we've seen, if there is any evidence, it's like insignificant. Hope that answers your question. Yes. Um, next one is from Cat. Now, before we move on this question, it is Cat's birthday, to Tom. You know, Cat, Mike, and Cat. Paramedics from oh, Canada. Yes, it's her birthday it's today. On socials, yes. Happy, happy birthday, happy birthday, Cat. Tom, do you want to sing Happy Birthday? HBD. Do you want to sing sing us a song? Me? Where's your guitar? Get your guitar out. You had your guitar out last week. Get your bloody guitar oh, out. Fuck, no, that's in the other room and oh. I'll put it on the spot. Excuses, excuses. And I only know that one, one little song that I learnt for that specific episode. Yeah. Sorry, Kat. I've let, we've let you down. Shit, you know, I did, I did find a harmonica the other day, but I don't know where it is. Oh, hang on a minute. One sec. Oh, no. Here we go. Oh, fucking hell. All right, here we go. God, here we go. That's all I can do. Happy birthday. <laughs> happy birthday. That also counts as a Christmas present. <laughs> Dear God. I was right, expecting anyway. a full happy birthday then. Now we're answering our question. So <sighs> I think that's been cleaned. <laughs> this, is, this is a great question. So how does food affect your mood? That is a really good question. Um, how does food affect your mood? So depending on the food that you're eating, um, if... The majority of the food that you're eating is processed foods, foods that are um, hyper palatable, foods that are heavily processed, 
they are, as we know, not going to contain as many nutrients um, in them. So that has so heavily, uh, a diet based around heavily processed food has been linked to depression. Um, but mm. but there are so many things in there. I mean, it's not just you eat processed food, it makes you depressed. You eat processed food over time. That You need to look at the, the confounding evidence. People who eat a heavy amount of processed food tend to... Um, be smokers also tend to be obese. So it's kind of the other things in there that are causing the mood as well. Um, and what we do know is that the more whole food your diet is, uh, the better your mood is going to be. And that's, I guess that's, that's the, the best that I can say. Uh, this also depends on whether you have food intolerances or not, because obviously if you're eating something that you are allergic to or um, intolerant to, you're obviously not going to be feeling great so that's going to affect your mood as well so i think it just depends i mean all i'd like to add is that anecdotally speaking from what i've seen is ice cream seems to be a massive mood enhancer people seem to always go for the ice cream when they feel down when they feel upset they go straight to the ice cream so perhaps tarts are like crack (laughs) (laughs) there's another way to go about it they're just so good popcorn and chocolate um although uh dark chocolate is high in magnesium so that's that's a an energy uh, or a mood booster. A superfood. A superfood. It's a superfood, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Why not? So, one more question to go. Right, this one's from Kathy. How important is getting protein in after a workout? I generally prefer not to eat for one to two hours after. The anabolic window. Yeah, important. So protein especially. The process of protein turnover is a very short process, so you want to make sure that you stay on top of your protein throughout the day. So a really good tip is in terms of nutrient timing, so when we talk about carb cycling, you want to make sure that you're clustering your carbs in the intra, the the pre, the intra, and the post. When it comes to protein, you want to evenly distribute the protein. So let's just say throughout a day, your um, protein, I always use 170 grams because that's what my husband eats. So let's just say your protein allotment for the entire day is 170 grams. You would divide that by the amount of meals that you want to eat throughout the day. So if mm. six meals a day, divide it, you've got 20, I think. So 28 grams throughout the day. And that also includes your protein shape when you're training. So 100%, it is very important that you are taking your protein throughout the day and and that you do eat within the two-hour window after you finish training if you can stomach it. It's probably not the answer she wants here, but uh, it's the answer she needed. I think people still have that fear that they have to smash protein straight away, straight after their workout. Otherwise, they're going to fizzle out and it's not the case. Uh like the whole anabolic window, people think that, yeah, it's a really narrow window and really it's more of like a, I've once heard someone call it more of like an open barn door. If you can't stomach protein straight away, then it's like, I wouldn't worry about it too much, you know, mm. as long as you are getting your intake over. Yeah. As long as you are getting a consistent supply of it throughout the day. And and the thing with protein is that like, if your protein down for maybe a few days, you probably won't notice it as much as mm. like when you're down on carbs, like when you're down on carbs, your body is going to feel it oh, pretty yeah. quickly. But as long as you're consistently getting that supply of protein back, it's going to help you recover better. Well, that's the, uh, that's the questions we've got in, Sherry. Appreciate answering those. I'm hoping yeah, thank those you. who sent them in. Uh, scared. I wasn't sure what out. kind of questions you were going to ask, but those are really nice well, I questions. We've got, we've, I was we've got, scared we've got Tom too. Yet. Tom, have you got a secret question? Have you got anything you want to throw out? Oh, shit. I did put something, but I can't remember what it was. You did actually submit a question, which I don't read out because it's extremely... Um, what did I put? I can't remember. I'm not reading. You can read. You fucking know what it is. You can read it out. Did I ask... Oh... Oh, yeah. oh, oh, right. Oh, Jesus. This would be, be a great time for your phone to die now, Sherry. Um, no, uh, I, uh, 
I was asking if like cannibalism was ethical. Oh Not knowing God. that Bill was going to, you know, actually air the question or, you know, gaslight me into saying it. Do you know what's funny about that question? I came across a question and it, and we actually had to talk about it for a while, me and my husband. Somebody asked on Quora or Reddit, somebody asked on Reddit and said, if you were dying, strange question, and you ate a part of your body, would that actually give you more energy or would it be using up your energy? That blew my mind oh because my, my head was like, you're actually eating. It was really weird, but it was a question and it made people, yeah, exactly. Because it made us think more like, well, actually, if you're hungry and you've got nothing else to eat and you start cannibalizing yourself, are you giving yourself energy? Uh, it's still cool. energy balance, right? <laughs> well, go, going back to uh, what Johnny's question was earlier with a peanut bar, if you take a chunk out of yourself and metabolize it, do you technically, technically do, do you still, do you weigh the same? Oh, I mean, I'm not going to find out, but, uh, you know, I don't think you would because the energy would have been because so here's energy out. Energy goes out in the form of this, you know, gas and and water and all sorts of stuff. So I, I, I would have thought you're somehow using the energy, but I don't know. I wasn't expecting to get into a serious conversation, no. but I'm actually enjoying it. Hello. <laughs> on, on next week's episode of Chat Should Get Fit, we talk all things eating yourself. Yeah, <laughs> is it ethical? And what is the yeah? What is the what is the uh, thermic effect of cannibalism? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> behavior, oh behavior change, and cannibalism. Thermic effect of human me, yeah, human flesh. Yeah, there you go. Wow, we really have sunk this is, low top. This is pretty grim. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll do that. Sherry, before we, uh, we better finish, <laughs> before we finish for the week, where can people find you if they want to get in touch and take advantage of your So I can be found on Instagram, uh, munchies and macros with a um, underscore in between the words and um, www.munchiesandmacros.com. Awesome. I love those links down the show notes below if you uh, were driving and you couldn't write that down. So just check out the show notes after Tina's driving. Okay. And if it's cool with you guys, can I mention the downloadable freebie that I have? Oh, absolutely. Can. Go for it. I have um, a free downloadable freebie that um, highlights some of the stuff that we were talking about, talking about. So nutrient timing, diet periodization. So when to eat your protein, your carbs, and your fats. That is just basically going to help you increase performance and improve your body composition. Sounds amazing. Okay, guys. Hope you've enjoyed that. I found that very interesting, actually. I enjoyed that myself. Very good. I know. I feel like I'm going to have trouble sleeping now. I, I, I'm worried about what I'm going to have in my dreams of like cannibals and you know, peanut oh, butter so. and yeah, it's... yeah. Air fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Air fries and cannibalism does seem like it would go hand in hand with each other. Oh, I'm not sure yeah. about that. I mean, oh, my, mine can hold, once again, a low-key flex, but mine can hold two litres, so that's at least a hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, uh, we'll leave it there. It's been a pleasure as always, uh, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye, guys. Bye. As always, thanks for listening. If you're new around here, we'd love for you to stick around and get stuck into our vast back catalogue, which includes topics such as myths, diets, recovery methods, and more recently, supplements. We also have numerous one-off specials covering topics like CBD oil, our top training tips, and an entire episode dedicated to gym pet peeves. So hit that subscribe slash follow button on your podcast app, and hopefully we'll see you on the next one. We will see you next week, same time, same place, for a brand new episode. See you soon.